Welcome to the morning community of Northridge Vineyard. Our deepest desire is that you will encounter Jesus as you listen in to our morning gathering. If you'd like to find out more about us, check out our website, northridge.org.au forward slash mornings. Now I would like to welcome Kim up to speak to us this morning. I'm just going to pray for her. Yeah, it is really bright this morning, isn't it? (laughs) Okay, Father, thank you so much for Kim. Thank you for the preparation that she's put in this morning, for this morning. Just pray a blessing on her and her family. And Lord, that as she speaks to us, it would be you speaking through her and that we would have uh, ears to hear and hearts to be open. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, thank you. No one over 25 needs that much artificial light on their face. Um, So I feel like I'm done already before I've even begun because Lisa's word was basically what we're talking about this morning. So I could walk away. Um, But alas, you have me for another half an hour probably. So um, one of the things I did want to do for us... Oh... (laughs) I asked Matt as I walked out the door, I said, oh, can you just grab me a Bible, babe? And um, we have lots of Bibles, and most of them, this is clearly one of the kids' Bibles, because the print is really small. I might get the guys to pop the verses up when we get to them. But one of the things I did want to do this morning uh, was pray for us. I was reminded before we were worshipping, and I'm looking at Steve, because... A couple of months ago, probably six, might have even been 12 now, Steve put us onto this daily devotional called Lectio. And it's fabulous and I love it. And the thing that I love about it more than anything is the way it begins the same way every single day, which can sound like it might be a little boring, but it's not. It's great. And the thing I love particularly is where you take a moment before you begin to reflect and the voice says... I can't even remember exactly what it says now, but it says he prays that our scattered senses would come together as we focus on God. And so I want to pray that for us this morning. So heaven, so hold, posture yourself however you like when you're receiving from God. And for you at home too, I'm going to hold out my hands, but you don't have to do that. Whatever works for you. Lord, gather our scattered senses. Father, we come before you now and we open your word because we love you and we want to know you. We want to build and strengthen and deepen our relationship with you. So, Father, help us. Help us as we come to this place of concentration and focus on you. Let everybody hear, not hear my voice, but hear you. Hear what your words are saying. Amen. Okay, but you will hear my voice, but... (laughs) It's not going to be some weird thing that's happening. I'm going to get rid of that. Um, Okay, so open your Bibles to the book of John. That's where we've been recently, and particularly today I want you to open to chapter 14. John, you will know because we've been walking through parts of John. John, in, In John, Jesus teaches slightly differently to the way he does in the other Gospels. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's a lot of um, teaching about the kingdom and the coming of the kingdom, where in John, if you look, it's the same, it's slightly different. He is talking about identity. He is talking about Jesus' identity. He is talking about the revelation of the eternal son and his relationship 
to God. And so that is where we start today. And so then it won't be surprising to you if that's what John is about, that as you read through it, there's one phrase that comes up more than any other. And in fact, if you're counting or if you're inclined to count, it comes up about 20 times where Jesus says, I am this or I am that. Or about, you might have thought there were seven because there are seven very particular ones that we know as the seven I am statements. Uh, and they are particular because they, in all of those statements, the I am is followed by a metaphor which proclaims both the deity and the relationship of Jesus to God as the saviour of mankind. So those ones stick out to us, and those are the ones you would be most familiar with. And that's what we've been looking at over the last couple, number of weeks. So we looked at when Jesus said in John 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. In John 8:12 he says I am the light of the world. In John 10:9 he says I am the door. In John 10:11 and 14 he says I am the good shepherd. Last week Bon we were in John 11 verse 25 when he says I am the resurrection and the life. And today we are in John chapter 14 verse 6 where Jesus tells his disciples I am the way, the truth, and the life. No, oh, I've dropped out. I'm back again. Do you want me just to pick up a microphone? No, we're good? Okay. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's a declaration of Jesus' identity. By now, we will also know that I am is not just any way to start a sentence. It's just not a casual phrase that Jesus throws in. It's much, much more than that. And the disciples to whom he was talking at this particular point in time would have known that because they would have known the Torah really well. So they would have they would have instantaneously gone back to Exodus when Jesus, when Jesus, when God first uses the phrase "I am," when He's talking at a really, it's at a really, really pivotal point in the redemptive story, and He's talking about who He is and His role as leading them out of exile and on into a redeemed life. So it's really a significant declaration of his identity. It discloses not only who he is, but who God is. It says what God is like. It says, I am the eternal, unchanging, glorious, above all created things, God. And Jesus is now saying, I am that also. He's applying it to himself. He's saying, I'm not just a helper. I'm not just a teacher. I'm not just a guide, but I am am God. I, I am declaring my deity and my role as redeemer. So let's read, if we could flip up onto um, the screens, those verses, John 14 verses 1 to 7, and I will give it a go. <laughs> oh, now I've lost it. Sorry. Excuse me for a second. I'm just going to read it from there. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I, have, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be 
with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So some months ago, I was seeing a physio for a strained calf. And as part of that recovery process, I had to roll a firm, like a, a hockey ball, around on the bottom of my sole in my arch. And it really hurt. And so I kind of said, turned to him and said, is it meant to hurt? Am I meant to be in pain as I do? Because I don't like pain particularly. Um, and he said, Kim, is it really pain? Or are you just uncomfortable? And I'm thinking, oh, this sounds like it's more than just a physio conversation that we're having in this moment. And it was really good because we did then go on and, and have a very interesting conversation about how our tendency is to sit in what is comfortable for us, to sit in what we know, to sit in what's familiar and just be comfortable. And so we don't want to put ourselves into a situation where we're not uncomfortable. But he was making the point that actually it's in those places that that's where we grow. That's where we gain strength and growth. So we need to learn to embrace the uncomfortableness. And if you've ever spent any time, I don't know about you, but there's lots of uncomfortableness in here. There are lots of things that I struggle to reconcile particularly when I'm reading the Old Testament. There's a lot there. And so I think the key for us is to be prepared to sit in that uncomfortableness. Be prepared to push through to grow. Now, the reason I tell you this this morning is because this I... Oh, it's not. It's gone. Sorry. This I am... Do you mind popping verse 6 back up there for me, please? Um, this I am statement is... is is a little, it's not, I don't want to say controversial, that's not the right word, but it can make us uncomfortable and it certainly makes a large proportion of the secular world uncomfortable. Um, we'll get into that in a minute, but I just want to say, I just say that to encourage you to push through that uncomfortableness, to hold on to what God might be saying to you in this moment. So I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Three elements expressed in this statement. The truth, the way, the truth, and the life. But not a list of characteristics of God. Three elements interconnected and unable to be separated. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way to the Father because he is the truth. Because he is a true revelation of God. In John 18.37 we read, For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. So Jesus is the way to Father God because he is a true revelation of Father God. And therefore, because he is the way to Father God, he is the way to the resurrection and the life and the eternal hope that we have. By saying, by the, the end of that verse 
says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And by saying that, actually, I want to go back a little bit. Um, Jesus is the way to salvation. He is the way to a redeemed life here and now. He is the connection to eternity that we can't get on our own. He opens the door and allows us to walk through into a redeemed life here and both here and now and on into eternity. Previously, for the, for the Israelite nation, there were many ways that they put themselves in a place to be close to God. There were things that God had asked them to do which set them apart as a nation, so people would know they were God's nation. But then there were other rituals that they went through to make themselves acceptable before God. In this last part of this verse, no one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus contrasts himself to anything that has gone on before him. He says, I have accomplished salvation and redemption fully for you, permanently. Those old ways were temporary ways. I am the fulfillment of those ways. I have achieved connection for you and God permanently for all mankind forever. So he allows us through this doorway to be reconciled with God, both here and now on earth and on into eternity. And he's reminding the disciples of that when he declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I got that in the right order, didn't I? Yes. <laughs> okay. So I think the difficulties I was talking about before, um, and one of the reasons this particular I am statement can stop us, or maybe us, but certainly the world outside us in our tracks and go, oh, that makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable, is because it's so definitive. Jesus is not saying I am a way. He is saying, I, initially he says, I am the way, but then he goes on and he doubles down on it and he says, I am the only way. So he's not just a way, he's not just the way, he is the only way. And to our postmodern culture where every thought and every belief is acceptable and we should be all encompassing, this can scream exclusivity. The world is is much more comfortable with phrases like, as long as you are kind and genuinely trying to be a good person, then whatever faith you follow doesn't matter. Your religion doesn't matter. I have, um, I have for those of you that don't know, I have four children, and one of them, uh, one of the things their school does is that they have student profiles, and so they set up a profile, and, and in that profile, the child gets to say the things that they love uh, about the classroom environment and what works well for them, and then the teacher says what they see as the child's strengths and weaknesses, and then as parents, we get to do that too. So the teacher does it first, and it came home for one of my kids, um, and the first thing she said about this child was that they were kind. And even now it breaks my heart. I love that. I love that that's the thing more than anything else that they could or have or will do or say or be 
is that they were kind. So I love kindness. I love sincerity. I think they are really wonderful qualities. You know, they are qualities, they are a spill out of a heart filled with love. So I'm not saying when I go on here that they are not great. But what I am saying is that they are not enough in and of themselves. To be kind, to be good, to be sincere is not enough. And the reason they're not enough is because they fail, because they, on their own, they fail to recognize our need for redemption. They failed to recognize that we needed someone to come and save us. We needed someone, we needed Jesus to come in and reconnect us to God. And so they are good, but they are not enough on their own. Another phrase the world likes when they're confronted and offended by the I am statement we're looking at this morning is, well, you know, there are different paths up the same mountain, but they all lead to the same peak and it doesn't really matter how you get there. That's not what we read this morning. It might sound nice if you're trying to be politically correct, but it's not what we read. Um, it's not what we read in John's gospel. It's not what we read anywhere in scripture. There is one path. There is one way. There is one truth. It is Jesus. There's no getting around it. I think people uh, don't like it so much because it seems exclusive. It seems like you're saying it's not open and accepting. And it, yeah, it seems like, well, you're out there or you're in here. You're either in or you're out. And that's, it's not exclusive. And I would argue that it's not exclusive because even though the road is narrow, even though there's only one way, that way is open to everybody. Anybody at any time can choose that way. And the other thing, it could, I was pondering this thought. I was, um, I've been catching the train to work recently, and I sit on that. Normally, I sit in on the at the train station in pitch dark. But this particular day, I was starting work a bit later, and I was sitting as the sun had come up, and it was a cloudy day. And you know, sometimes when um, a plane goes over by, goes by. That the jet stream somehow creates, and I'm not sciencey, so I don't understand it. But that it creates like a line in the sky. Well, this particular line was behind clouds, and it was like this bright light. And so there was the contrast of the darkness of the clouds, and then this singular, singular bright light through the middle of the clouds. And I felt like the Lord say, "I'm not." It's narrow, but it's full of life. Don't be put off by the fact that it's narrow, that there's only one path. It's a path you want. It's a good path. It's a path that's worth embracing. And I, I, as I was um, researching and preparing and, and planning for today, I stumbled across a quote by Melvin Graham. Did you know Billy Graham has a brother? Billy Graham has a brother called Melvin. And Melvin said, I just love that name. Um, Melvin said, I just want to be a nobody willing to tell everybody that there is somebody who can save anybody. And I just really loved it. So there is nothing about Jesus that's exclusive. There is nothing about Jesus that says, you're in and you're out. You don't fit right, so you stay over there, but you fit all the criteria, so you come in. The way is open to everybody, but there is only one way. So that's one of the problems that the world has or our 
current culture has with this particular statement. And the other one is around the issue of truth, where Jesus says, I am the truth. See, a lot of the world, or there is a certain um, push in our current culture, in our current climate, that truth is relative. The truth is not absolute, that absolute truth is, is not a thing, that truth is. I'm sure you've heard the phrase on whatever form of media you connect with, my truth, his truth, her truth, my truth, your truth. But the reality is my truth is just another way of saying my opinion, my perspective. The truth we are talking about, and I want to read this because I want to get it right. The truth we are talking about here is not dependent on my opinion, your opinion, anyone's opinion. It's not dependent on my perspective or your perspective. Jesus is not my truth or your truth or one version of the truth. He is the truth. He is God's definitive and perfect word expressing who God is, what he's like, who we are, and how we are reconciled to him. So, sorry, I'm just trying to work out where, where I am in my notes. We've dealt with the statement itself and those issues um, surrounding the text. And this is where I want to take a left turn, change tack a little bit. And this is really what I, this is our take home for today, the next bit. And that is that those issues are not actually what Jesus is addressing here. See, what we've done up, what I've done up to this point is I've taken the I am statement and I've put it over here and we've looked at it and we looked at how the world views it and we've seen the problem that the world has with it. The, the problem for us is when we do that is that we take it out of context. And we, when we take it out of context, we focus on those. We, there is the tendency to focus on those issues. And when we do that, we can... Well, the phrase has been, the statement has been used to condemn Christians, to, to con condemn non-Christians. But if you put it back in the gospel, put it back in the context of the story that was going on here, you'll see not only would Jesus never do that, but that is absolutely not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is in the moments just before his crucifixion. This is his last moment with his disciples to really feed into them before he goes. And it's a really tender moment where he's explaining to them what's happening. They don't fully get it. And you can see from the scripture that they're confused and they misunderstand, but he's just ever so gently reassuring them. We, Thomas is concerned and he asks, how can we know the way? He can't see it. All he can see, you know, when something hits you from what you think is left field, you can't see the big picture. You're just focused on that. And he can't see, he can't see what he's known. He can't see the reality of his relationship with Jesus. All he can see is that Jesus is telling him he's going and he can't go with him. And what does that mean? And how will, we, how will we function in that place? But Jesus responds ever so gently saying, I am the way. So Thomas has just said, how do we know the way? We can't know the way. You're going and you won't tell us where and you're not taking us with you. How do we know the way? 
And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In saying this, Jesus is reminding Thomas and the disciples who he is. He's reminding them that he's not just their teacher or their guide. He is God. He goes on in verse 7 to open their eyes to the fullness of what they have through having relationship with him. He says, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him. You have seen him. And if you go on a little bit, Philip says something and Jesus says again, you have seen me, therefore you have seen the father. When we look at these words, seen and know, the Greek words used there, and I don't have exactly what they are, but the Greek words used there are not to see with our eyes or to know with our heads. They are words which have a much deeper, much more relational context. To see with your heart, to be in personal relationship with, to know not just about someone, but to be in relationship with someone. Basically, Jesus is saying, you know me. We have been together. You know me. And because you know me, you know the Father. Because you have relationship with me, you have relationship with the Father. Jesus is talking about a personal relationship. The essence of our faith, the essence of Christianity is a personal relationship with Jesus which reconnects us to Father God and everything else everything else flows out of that place. Now, so how do we get that? So they had Jesus. They had Jesus right there. So they developed relationship. So how do we get that? Well, we do it in much the same way they did it and the way we do it with each other. When you first meet someone, you find out about them. You ask them questions. You find about what they like, what they do. You just ask them lots of questions. Um, and so you get to know them. But this relationship that we're talking about, this relationship that we're aiming for, where we see God through Jesus, is more than that. It's not enough just to know about someone, about Jesus. We need to know him Perf we need to know him personally. Tim Keller says, um, and this is interesting, he says God, but I'm going to use Jesus for our purposes today. You can know the Bible without knowing Jesus, but you cannot know Jesus without knowing the Bible. I want or put it another way, you can have a lot of information about someone, but not really know them. I'll give you an example. So someone, give me the name of a celebrity that you know. Someone really famous. Someone that we'll all know. No, this is interactive, people. You actually have to call out a name for me. Oh, good old Hugh. Who doesn't love Hugh? Um, so, I don't know Hugh, but because we live in the world we live in, it will take me about three, well, maybe me a few more, but my kids about three clicks of the computer to find out all sorts of information about Hugh Jackman. I'll find out how old he is, where he was born, where he went to school, what he likes, who he's married to, what he did last Sunday. There is so much information that I can know about Hugh Jackman. But if Hugh Jackman were to walk past me in the street, Hugh Jackman I may, I probably recognize him, I reckon, but he would not recognize me. He doesn't know me because we don't have relationship. I can have all the information about him that I can get my hands on, 
In fact, I might have more information than he has. But I don't know him because we don't have any relationship. I haven't spent time with him. To know Jesus, we need to spend time with him. And to do that, for us, we do that in prayer. But this is the thing, and this is the trap. We often come in our prayers to Jesus and we talk. But have you ever had a friend, and I've had a few along the way, where when you get together or you're having coffee or whatever it is you're doing, hanging out, and they just talk. And so the conversation is not two-way. The conversation is all about them and what they're doing and how they feel and what's going on. And so you get to the end and you go, oh, okay, so I know everything about you and your life, but you don't actually know anything about me. That's not relationship. Relationship is is two ways. And that's sometimes what we do with Jesus. We come and we download everything, which is good. That's not bad. I'm not saying that's bad. But I also want to encourage us to make time and space in our prayer lives just to connect with him, to do nothing else but develop relationship with him. Go back and have a look at the prayers of the disciples and of Paul in the New Testament. And what I think you'll find, or certainly what I've found, is most of their prayers are about personal knowing of Jesus, of God. That we would know him, that we would know the have a deeper relationship and that knowing in our hearts, not just our heads, of who he is. And the question I've written down that I wanted to ask you was, and I found this challenging, and I suspect some of you might too, is how often in our prayers are we looking to solely build and deepen relationship with them? And how often are we coming in prayer time to ask him to solve our problems? I want us, well, if you're... I'll say it for me, but I want, for me, I want to flip that ratio because everything flows out of that place. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me. No one comes to the Father except through me, is what Jesus says. The words in this statement are not spoken to condemn those who don't know Jesus. They were spoken to reassure and to comfort those who did. They are spoken to reassure and to comfort us that we know Jesus. Therefore, we know God and he is the way. What I want us to do this morning, we've run out of time and I've just about come to the end but I want to ask you some questions so we'll have a time of prayer in a minute and if there are any other words that anyone's got come on up and share those too but I've got a couple of questions and if anything I've said has made you uncomfortable or if you are in any way wrestling with God or prayer or any of these questions I'm about to ask touch a nerve for you then come up and and we'll pray we might not even pray Words. We might just sit in the presence of God and let God speak to you. Sometimes our well-meaning words get in the way of what God is doing. There's a lot that we can, as we sit and we learn to hear his voice, we learn to understand how he speaks to us. 
That's a really, and I know silence makes us a lot of us uncomfortable, but again, I want to encourage you to press into that and to become comfortable as we learn. So these are the questions I have for you. Do you know Jesus or do you just know about Jesus? Have you made that personal connection? Have you been willing to make him the center or is he just a part? of your life? Have you been willing to fully trust him, not just with some parts of your life, but with all of it? Have you been willing to trust that he is who he says he is, to trust his story and your part in that, even when it doesn't look like the way we had wanted it to look? even when it doesn't look like the way we had hoped that it might look. So if any of those questions you are struggling with, and, you know, honestly, I think possibly 90% of us in some degree or another, there's something there that will have touched us. So why don't we stand now, if that's okay. Bon and Rob, is there anything you wanted to do? Okay. So I'm going to pray for us. And if after that you would like, because we are out of time, um, and as much as I would pray for a long time, this is Grace's first official day, and so I don't. I would like you to go and pick up your kids reasonably on time. Um, but if, but don't leave. This is my thing. Don't leave this building if you want prayer. Go and get your kids, give them to another parent to look after for a while, and then come back in and find someone. Don't leave here when you have something on your heart you're wrestling with. Okay. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I thank you that you are who you say you are. And Lord, we declare the truth of the statement that you are the way, you are the truth and the life, and that we come to Father God through you. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the price you were willing to pay. We thank you for your presence and we thank you for the Holy Spirit which we left for us to support us, to encourage us and comfort us. Father, to lead us into relationship with you. And so, God, we ask that you would come now through your spirit and strengthen our relationship with Jesus, that we might begin to understand more fully who he is and who we are through him. Lord, I ask that you would unsettle those parts of us that have got comfortable and that you would stretch us and that you would reveal yourself in a new way to us. Father, that we might embrace the fullness of what Jesus came for. He didn't come for a half-life. He didn't die that we might struggle. He died so that we would have a full and abundant life. In the midst of the turmoil of this world, we would rise and we would shine because we are filled with his shalom, because we know his peace and his presence. We would be that strip of light in the grey of the world. So come now, Father, and touch our hearts.